it's also important that we, we know that he really truly cares for us. We all know that he loves us, but you have to understand that he's more concerned about the condition of your heart and your final destination than he is your comfort. In the book, Ravi Zacharias writes, at the end of your life, one of three things will happen to your heart. It will grow hard, it will be broken, or it will be tender. The outcome's entirely up to us. And it's dependent upon how we um, get through or react those difficult seasons in our life. If we see those times as divine appointments and as an opportunity for him to work in us, and remembering who he is and who we are in Christ, it will definitely help you not to be discouraged. Allowing him to tenderize your heart, soften it, will enable him to shape it and make a lasting imprint on you. Most of us are familiar with the story of Joseph. He went from his brothers being very jealous of him and throwing him in a pit and sold to slavery to working in the house of, of Potiphar and his wife, you know, basically accusing him. He went to prison. And then he was forgotten by even his friends in the prison. And then he goes to second in command to, to Pharaoh, right under Pharaoh. And all along, when you look at, at uh, chapter 50 of Genesis, you see that everything that was going on in Joseph's life had a central focus on what God was doing, his plan, his purpose, and the sovereignty of God. David Jeremiah states it this way. Joseph learned somewhere along the way and came to understand that even the dark threads of the woven garment provided beauty in the ultimate product. So our Heavenly Father will use these disappointments and pain for your good to cultivate in you a right relationship, first of all. He brings us to a place of right relationship with him, either if you have not known him or if you know him and you've, you're, your head's not turned towards him. I think about my son right now, my oldest son, who is very stubborn like his mother. Well, I'll give my husband credit for it, too. He's stubborn, too. And for me, it took a lot for me to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. He used sickness which he didn't cause, but he used it. He used many trials in my life, and some of them caused by myself. Some of them were circumstances outside my control. But he used it to get me to the right relationship with him. And with my son, unfortunately, and he, does, he will take you to the wilderness just to get you to that right place. We've seen that in, in, in the word, that he took those Israelites and he left them there for longer just to get them in the right place in that right relationship with him. Well, he had to send my son to Iraq, the actual wilderness, to get my son, who, if some of you know, he got baptized on New Year's Eve, and now his words and his actions and his heart is turned towards God completely. And he's clinging on to God because, unfortunately, it took fear in sending him into Iraq, but I'm grateful to God that he turned his head towards him. When we come to God for right relationships, Someone most once wrote that true repentance doesn't, if, if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't heal. So when we come before him, we have to be completely honest. We have to be honest with ourselves because people who lose the most fail to be real. Not owning your own stuff. If you don't own your own stuff, it repels the grace of God. 
He'll go to great lengths to get us to that place. And he, he may even use other people's afflictions. If you look at that story of Joseph, when uh, you get to the end of the story, you realize, too, that he used Joseph's afflictions and pain to get the other sons of Jacob, the other brothers, into right relationship with the Lord. He'll use it, your pain and your, your uh, disappointments to get you to a deeper level of faith. He'll cultivate faith in you. He'll use it to, you know, get build those faith muscles, right? But faith is not in your muscles. It's in your mind. It's a mind thing. If you don't believe that God is in control and he has formed you for a purpose, then you will drown in the storms of your life. And we must trust beyond ourselves and what our abilities are. Knowing that he, you're trusting in someone who knows more than you, who loves you more than anyone else, and who is the purest form of good. There's no one else like that. So he will get you to that place to build that faith in you. I know right now he's using my son just to do that as well. With my son being there, it's helping me build my faith in God. He'll use it to cultivate your character. When, see, when the ground below us shakes and things start to not go our way, here, let me demonstrate it for you. So here's a glass of water, right? And here's my hand, and I'm going to shake the water. So what comes out? The water, right? You might think it's coming out because I'm shaking it. It's coming out because that's what's in it. So when the ground below us shakes, what comes out of us? Sometimes very surprising to ourselves, not to God, but to ourselves. We're kind of shocked at what comes out when those times, when, when the coworker bugs you, when your car gets hit, or when your family, you know, family is the number one thing that God uses to build our character. You're not in that family by accident. He placed you there specifically for those reasons. One of my sons, and I won't name him because you'll see him on Sundays. Well, there's only two, two here, so one or two, you get 50%, right? I used to sit there and look at him sometimes because I prayed, and I would say, son, he's saying, look at me like with those big eyes, like I know I'm causing problems, and I'd say, son, you make me a better person because he did. He really did. He gave God used him to help me not just be a better mother, but a better person. So he allows these things to happen so he can cultivate that character. It, character and substance are shaped in a crucible of adversity. A crucible is a container where you take metal and they heat it up so hot that it takes out all the impurities, but it also makes it soft enough to mold. So that heat that's below you. And crucible to me, I think more of I have a Marine husband and I have a Marine son. And in the Marine Corps, they call the final, at the 12 weeks of boot camp, at the end of the boot camp, they call their final test the crucible. It's grueling. It's hard. And the whole point of boot camp is to break them down and build them up as a team. There's no more I. There's a we. So at the end of this, they go through just a, a, it's, we were praying for Cody and actually all of his, his platoon. We had a group of women who were pray, 
prayer warriors, uh, mamas, and we were praying for them because we knew that they were going to be tested and go through that fire. And when we prayed that, we knew, though, at the end, because we had seen the videos of previous platoons, they come to that point where they're just, there's nothing left. There's no eye left in them. They're humbled. And they put their hands out to get that Eagle Globe and Anchor pin to, to finally pin them on, and they're called Marines then. See, when God puts us through those crucibles, when he puts us through those testing periods, when he allows those things to shake us up, what comes out, he wants to cultivate in, in you better character. In Romans 5, 3 through 5, it says, Not only so that we, go, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We learned last week about the Holy Spirit. And part of his job is to sanctify us during these times. It gives way for opportunity for you to let him in completely to your heart. God breaks down those walls so that he can come in and sanctify that temple. So he also cultivates obedience. We know the story of Jonah. We know that um, the seas were raging and the boat was rocking and he got thrown into the water and God swallowed him up with a fish called grace because he could have killed him, but he didn't. So he needed him to be in obedience and he shook that boat. And it says in Jonah, when he finally came out of the fish, it says Jonah 3.3. 3. It, sh- it might say 9.3. 3. It's 3.3 3 up there. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So he wanted to save the people of Nineveh, and he needed Jonah's obedience to do so. And he, it was basically him showing mercy, even though he knew what was going to happen later on, if you know the story. Nineveh, you know, they, were, they, they listened first, but... But God still wanted to show that mercy. I, I think about there's a story that I think of when I, um, that God used in my own life where we had this teenage kid that was on our block, and he was just a terror, and he was constantly giving everyone a problem. And he had, we had problems. We had gone to his parents and all kinds. We were praying for him, and he slashed our tires. He slashed two tires, actually. And we got it fixed. We knew it was him. And one day I'm driving. It's the middle of summer. It's dead heat. And I see him on the side of the road walking. And I'm driving. And the Lord says, pick him up. And I'm like, God, he slashed my tires. Pick him up. And I kept driving. I wasn't obedient. And I got to the corner. And the Lord very firmly said to me, pick him up. Now, when your mother says to you in that tone or your father, you know that whatever's coming next is not good. So I was obedient, thankfully. And I turned around, and I went. It was like a long way to get even around. And I turned around, and I came back, and I pulled over, and I rolled down the window. I was almost hoping he wouldn't be there, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. And I rolled down the window, and I said, would you like a ride home? Because we live next to each other. And he looked at me, and he said, yeah. 
And the minute he got in the car, the Holy Spirit took over and loved him like I could never love him. And that wasn't within me right then and there. And I got to witness the Holy Spirit really loving on him. And that kid probably had never had mercy or kindness or love like that. It changed him. It changed his attitude towards me and our family. And I don't know how, you know, all the seeds and how it all played out. But I know that I know that I know God made an impact on him at that point. So I was thankful that I was obedient. But, and I'm glad that I didn't have to be swallowed up by a fish called grace. So He cultivates surrender in us during these times as well. Have you ever surrendered to him, but you surrendered with your agenda? Like, not, it's your will against God's will, right? So you, you go to him with your agenda, your expectations. You want God on your terms, and you go, God, I surrender. Not surrender, but surrender, right? So half-heartedly we come to him. And he will use those disappointments and those pains just to get us to that place of full surrender, right? He knows that because he knows that truly, without full surrender, that's the only way that he can fully work in your life. Whether it's that husband or that son or daughter, parent, he can't fully, sometimes we get in the way. So unless we fully surrender them. Now, he also uses it for his glory. He'll use these disappointments and pain for glory. And I think of um, Nick, I'm going to mess it up. I hope I don't. Voyage. Voyage. Did I say it right? Okay. I think of him um, because I heard him speak about how his father said that when he was born, and he hadn't even seen him fully out yet. He only saw one arm, and he was just distraught. He was already questioning God, why? Why was my son born with no arm? And then the doctor comes to him because he left the room and says, your son has no limbs. And he was, he's a pastor's son. This pastor was questioning God, why, why was my son born this way? And Nick says that he, he questioned for many years, and he even wanted to, like, end his life. But I think of him, and I didn't know this until I watched the video not that long ago, because when I think of him, I think of the, the story of how Jesus was questioned about the man that was born blind and who had sinned to cause this in infirmity on him. And Jesus says in John 9, 3, it says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Nick can go into a Muslim prison and preach Jesus to the inmates there. They don't find him threatening. And I also know that God is so displayed through this man. When he came here not that long ago, my son, one of my boys hugged him because he stood in line for those hugs. You remember that? My son said he had never been hugged that way before. He felt the love of God. So God displays his glory through those disappointments, through those pains. When we are weak, he is strong. Spurgeon said, those who navigate little streams and shallow creeks know but little of God, of tempests. But those who do business in great waters, these see his wonders in the deep. Among these huge Atlantic waves of bereavement, po poverty, temptation, and reproach, we learn the power of Jehovah because we feel the littleness of man. Right now, I'm currently in a, a really very difficult season of my life. 
Um, I come to here, and most of you see me. I have a smile on my face, and that's because I know who God is, and I know who I am in Christ. But it's very painful season. See, I was molested from the age of 7 to 15. And you have to understand something. I, w- I had gone to years, years of counseling. I had laid many things for hours at the cross. I had forgiven everyone responsible, or at least I thought was responsible. I had thought I was healed. I was woman, thou art loosed. I thought, I'm healed. And the Lord started bringing up these memories, vivid, very vivid memories of the abuse. And it was very painful. But as I started getting those memories, the Lord also brought up memories I had totally forgotten of me as a little girl dancing in the living room on one side of the room. I would dance and sing for hours and hours. I don't know where my parents were or what was going on, but I remember being there for hours, being by myself quite a bit. And I would dance and sing. I would sing at the top of my lungs, and I would dance like there was no tomorrow, right? And the Lord brought those memories at the same time. I was very confused, very painful. And I started to, I knew I needed to go to God with these, what, what he had brought up in my spirit. But I didn't. I have to say I kind of shrugged away because, quite frankly, I didn't want to feel that pain. And I knew that, though, eventually, especially as God made it more apparent, that the only way I was going to be healed was bringing it back to him. And really, truly, I don't want any area of my heart to be close to God. I want to fully give my heart all the way. So... One day I was, I was sitting with Abba, and I, I was saying, why now? Can you please make these memories go away? What do I do? How do I heal? And he gave me this scripture. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Enter the silence. Bow in prayer. Don't ask questions. Wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble. Take it full face. The worst is never the worst. Why? Because the master won't ever walk out and fail to return. If he works severely, he also works tenderly. His stockpiles of loyal love are immense. He takes no pleasure in making life hard, in throwing roadblocks in the way. Why did this happen? Because Christ lives in me. Because darkness can't dwell where light is. Because he didn't want me to bury those memories. He wants to completely resurrect me and those things. See, when I first became a Christian, the first thing I asked the Lord, first thing I asked him was, with tears in my eyes, bearing my heart, why did you allow this to happen to me? And he said, what the devil meant for your soul to be evil, I will bring forth good from it. And he is making good on that promise. He has brought three angels into my life who are in this room right now. Because, let me go back, those memories of me singing and dancing, while I was sitting with him, he helped me to realize that that same room where I was singing and dancing on one side of the room, 
On the other side was where I first was touched, where my innocence was lost, where the devil meant to squash, but the Lord says, no, see, this is what I had planned for you. And he brought these angels into my life because these women have been very tender with my heart. And as I go to sing in voice lessons, and the first time I went and I started to cry, Nicole was very gentle with my heart. And as the Lord brought in my spirit to start dancing again, he brought Teresa and Emily. And I have to tell you, I pray on the way to lessons, and I am being healed. It's a big step out of the boat. He has planted seeds in me long ago. And right now, he wants to deep take those deep roots of pain and pain and disappointment. And he wants to cultivate that ground where those seeds were planted. And all I need to do is trust him, sing to him, dance for him, and keep my eyes fixed on him and not my feet <laughs> while I'm dancing. In the book, uh, Ravi Zacharias points out that when Paul wrote in Philippians 3, uh, 10 and 11, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from dead. From the dead. See, that pain brings me closer to Jesus. I don't know what he went through. I can't even imagine. But I know what it is that he is doing in me to resurrect me. Paul comes to know Jesus from the resurrection to the cross, unlike the other disciples. And Ravi uh, Zacharias states in his book, at the hill of Calvary lies the very center point of the gospel. All the suffering of all the world converged there in one single act of sacrifice when the one without sin took the penalty of our sin and accepted the ultimate in suffering, separation from his father so that we might be drawn near to him. Only God alone could bridge the gap between him and us, enabling to us to see the world through Calvary. If you don't see it this way, he states, then you will never see it this, his way. The threads of the masterpiece that he is weaving in your life will always pull away from the design. He states that the cross should be the aortic valve of your life, which is where all your body's blood flows through. So just like Paul came to know Jesus from resurrection to the cross, we became, we did the same. We weren't like those other disciples. So we should take our circumstances, our failures, our pain, and we take it to the resurrection first. Through that to the cross. Because we know that through that resurrection, right? Let me um, illustrate something for you. When a mirror is made, they have to sew over the back of it. It's a clear piece of glass. But the, let's call the back of this silvering part the cross. And let's call the other side the resurrection. So when you look at this, you don't see anything. It's bleak. It's hopeless. There's nothing to see. But when you turn it over, what do you see? You and I. That's what the cross is all about. But without the cross, there's no resurrection. 
without that silver back, we can't see ourselves. The cross displays that we have a father that can sympathize with our struggles. The cross represents that he, he took his deity and put it aside. He can sympathize with us. He can, he can understand our pain. The resurrection displayed God's power while the cross looked like weakness. But without the cross, there's no resurrection. And without trouble, there's no triumph. Without pain, there's no true compassion, and there is no eternity with the Father. So we only understand in part right now, because truly, we will never understand the full design until we get to heaven. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God has know, now knows me completely. The perfect life is reserved for heaven and has been reserved for you because of the pain endured on the cross. If there, in heaven, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, there's no more diets, there's no more uh, adult acne, right? There's a verse in, um, in the song Blessings by Laura Story that says, what if the greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? See, seeing the bigger picture, the woven garment is not possible from our view. But as we look to Jesus, we see beauty, we see perfection, and we anticipate how lovely our garment will be. Thank you, Lord. I just want to take a moment because I know that this kind of a teaching, of course, takes a lot of courage for somebody to stand up and share from the heart like that. And I know Gia wouldn't share that except she knows this is a safe place. But at the same time, when you have a teaching like this, it goes to the deepest place of many of our souls where we have deep-seated hurts or woundings that only the Spirit of God can touch. And I was reminded last night after her teaching about... Um, a psychiatrist that we had at the Fullerton location, Dr. Harris, and he really dealt with very people that were very, very deeply mentally um, just facing challenges. And some of them were actually institutionalized, and he would bring them to Pastor Rick, and he would say, if you could just get them filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then I can work with them. You know, I sit here, I look at Rebecca, who's, you know, marriage, family, counselor, you know, other people that have counseling backgrounds. And they can tell you that the work of the Holy Spirit in one minute can do what a counselor could take years to do. So what I want to do right now is I want us to just bow our heads just for the sacredness of the moment. I just, this last month when I was teaching on CGN TV, they had me teach on the Holy Spirit and um, I read a great quote by Pastor Chuck Smith. He said, we often say, Holy Spirit, give me more. He said, our prayer needs to be, Holy Spirit, show me how to give you more. And I think that this morning, that's what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. I want to give, 
I want you to give me everything so that I can give you more of me. It really is an area of surrender to go. As Gia said, she had to go to the foot of the cross because that's where we truly find ourselves. So if you could just take your hands and put them on your lap, just privacy. We're not trying to make any physical demonstration here, but just put them like a cup facing upward to the Lord this morning. And just invite the Holy Spirit to come. Many of you already had a tug in your spirit when she started sharing the depth of her pain. You were feeling the same pain, maybe not the same type of pain, but you were feeling pain. And allow the Holy Spirit to just go to that place and just bring healing and hope. Just say, precious Holy Spirit, I invite you in now. You saw me in my pain. You saw me in my woundedness. Jesus, you took all of that crud to the cross and you nailed it to the cross. You bore the weightiness of those things against me and things I have done. And you took it on the cross and you have washed it away by the blood and you have made it all white as snow, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, your word says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are spiritual and they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Girls, right now, just receive that work in your spirit where the Lord just comes and makes all things that are wrong, he makes them right this very moment. All the violations, all the pain, all the disappointments, all the things you thought life was going to be a certain way and it wasn't. We might live a few minutes from Disneyland, but that is not real. What's real is where you live. And what's more real than that is Jesus Christ, the power of the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit. And just just pray this with me. Just say this out loud. Dear Jesus, I invite you to the most vulnerable places of my heart. I bow my heart at the foot of the cross. Forgive me of all my wrongdoings and lift the burden of the pain against me and cause the Spirit of God to go to the deepest places and make me whole. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you every hour I need you my one defense my righteousness oh God how I need you Lord I need you oh I need you Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. And you're sitting at a group of, with ladies this morning that love you, and you may not know how much they love you yet. But I love this word picture that 
Pastor Jack Hayford shared at Church on the Way one day when he saw people praying for each other. He said he saw people with like big, huge lumps on their back. They had humps on their back. And he said as people were praying, the layers of the humps were being pulled off because it's a process. Know that it's a process with the Holy Spirit. It says he that's begun a good work in us will complete it. Allow the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we have to come and help each other. So you have a table leader that loves you, and your table leaders are sensitive to what's going on in their table now, and uh, you're going to have some ministry time. You're in a safe place. Um, what, s- what happens h- here stays here, just like that commercial about Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, share your heart and know you're in a safe place. Thank you, Gia. That was a brave, brave message.